Please be seated. Any children here, uh, kindergarten or first grade, who'd like to go to Children's Church are welcome to do that, and you can find that uh, in the foyer in the back of the sanctuary. The rest of you open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 14. We go back to our sermon series in Deuteronomy after Palm Sunday and Easter sermons, picking up where we left off. It's on page... 186, 186 in the Pew Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 14, page 186. And this morning we're studying verses 22 to 29 So we slowly work our way through this book. It says in Deuteronomy 14, 22, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place He will choose as the dwelling for His name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord your God will choose to put His name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, And the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. So we go from the resurrection last Sunday to tithing this Sunday. You know, it's always a joy as a pastor to stand up in front of a congregation and let them know they're about to hear a sermon on Giving to the church. I mean, isn't that a lovely thing? Uh, You know, tithing in most people's minds is one of those words that kind of sits with other types of words like, oh, I don't know, you know, root canal, um, MCAS test for you kids, uh, you know, IRS audit. It's it's sort of one of those kind of topics. Uh, You know, you ask uh, you ask the skeptic, the person who doesn't believe in organized religion, why they don't like it. And often one of the top answers you'll get is because they're always talking about money. They're always trying to get money. And people have that stereotype of, of churches. Uh, maybe you've been uh, you know, or, or watched on TV, you know, the, the TV preacher who's got the, the slick, shiny, shiny suit and the perfect hair. And, and he's making the pitch to give to his ministry. And there's a 1-800 number on the bottom of the screen. And you're like, you know, is this church on TV or is this... Uh, you know, like a PBS telethon. I mean, what is this that I'm watching? Perhaps you've been to a church where they pass the plate and then, you know, they didn't get enough, so they pass the plate again just to let you know that the quota had not been hit. Uh, my father-in-law loves to tell the story about a church that he went to uh, where 
the, the pastor was kind of one of these um, rant and rave, scream, get rid of them in the face kind of preachers. And apparently, like every Sunday when they were about to collect the offering, he would quote from the same passage in the Bible right before the offering. It was Malachi 3, where if you know the text, um, the Lord asks Israel, he says to Israel, you have robbed me. And Israel says back to the Lord, how have we robbed you? And the answer in that text is, in tithes and offerings. And every Sunday, this pastor would yell, in tithes and offerings. (laughs) And now may the ushers come forward. (laughs) So, you know, some of us have had kind of bad church giving financial experiences. Even those of us, I think, who, who, who believe in the local church, who are not allergic to organized religion, and who even give, I, I think sometimes it's, it's one of those topics that we, just, you know, we don't want to talk about. It's a little bit embarrassing. We sort of go over it sort of fast. And, and so it leaves a, a bad taste in people's mouth. But what if we've got tithing all wrong? What if we've really... In spite of the bad experiences, I put those aside, what if we've really misunderstood this topic? What if tithing is actually intended to be a great blessing to us as Christians? I know this is like way out there, right? But what if? What if, rather than being like cough syrup that we have to choke down because we suppose it's good for us, but we really don't like the taste, what if tithing is actually like mashed potatoes and gravy, what if it's, um, you know, angel salad? What if it's apple pie with ice cream? In other words, what if it's one of the dishes at the banquet of Christian living that God has laid out for us? What if? What if, and this is going to get really extreme here, but what if tithing is actually a way of experiencing intimacy and communion with God? What if giving financially is actually a demonstration of the gospel message itself that we're missing. So I'd like to challenge us this morning to kind of collect, I'd like to take an offering of of all of our issues. You all have issues, so do I. Let's gather our issues in a big pile, and if we could just sort of mentally put them right here in the corner of the stage, and, and just focus on this text and hear it with fresh ears to set aside all of the baggage we may have or worries or bad experiences we've had, and just say, what does God's Word say again? And and I want to focus on this here in Deuteronomy 14. There's a lot of passages that teach about giving in the Bible. This is the one that's before us as we are working our way through Deuteronomy. And so this morning I want to think about tithing with you from four angles, four dimensions. You might say four questions we could ask about tithing that I think we find addressed in this passage as we move through it. And the first one is this. Here's the first question. It's a very simple one. Kind of start with the basics. But number one, what is tithing? What is it? You know, what is this thing we're talking, keep saying tithing, but what, what are we talking about? So look back at our text, Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 23. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So a tithe is a tenth. It's uh, it's 10%. So as the Israelites collected their grapes and grain and, and 
picked their olives and made olive oil out of it and had new sheep every year in their flocks. They were to take a tenth of those, right? So some of you kids I know are studying uh, fractions in school. Maybe you're getting to, to fractions. And, and uh, so I'll ask the kids here, uh, just so we all understand what a tithe is. Uh, imagine you're uh, a little Israelite child and you help your parents pick the vineyard and you got a hundred bushels of grapes. What would the tithe be? How many bushels? Come on, some, there's got to be some math kid here who knows it. Just show me. Yeah, way in the back. Ten bushels. Brilliant! Gold star. That's it. So even the mathematically challenged here can move a decimal place, point one place. It's all a tithe is. It's just a tenth. So Israel, as they gathered, as God blessed them, they were to give back a tenth of what they had received. It wasn't optional for Israel. If you look at verse 22 where it says, Be sure to set aside a tenth. That The Hebrew construction there is very emphatic. It's not just a command, but it's a command with what's called an, uh, an absolute infinitive, which is like you know, a very strong command. It's a very emphasized phrase. So Israel was supposed to give this, this tenth. Now, the question often comes when you start asking about a tithe. That the question is, do we have to give a tithe in the New Testament? Under the New Covenant, do we have to give a tenth? You know, and, uh, but my answer to that question is, um, no, but. I, I want to say, no, but. That, that what we find in the New Testament, we do not find Jesus and the apostles giving a specific percentage that believers are supposed to give to the Lord. But we do find an emphasis upon intentionality in giving. There is this emphasis upon being purposeful about it, which is kind of like the 10% in that it's, it's a set amount. There's something purposeful and specific that one does. It's not random. It's not haphazard. Let me show you what I mean. Put a bookmark here in Deuteronomy 14. And I'd like to turn to one of the other uh, key uh, teachings on giving in the New Testament. There's many we can look at, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is on page 1147, if you're unfamiliar with that part of Scripture. Page 1147 in the Pew Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So we're, we're going to flip back and forth. Deuteronomy 14. 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to go like this back and forth during the sermon. So you may just want to bookmark both of these as we go back and forth between these two texts. And, and here's what Paul says about giving in 2 Corinthians 9, a very clear teaching on this topic. Paul says in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. You see that? Give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This should not be guilt trip given, driven. For God loves a cheerful giver. So even though we don't have, you must give 10%, you have intentionality. Decide. In other words, think about it, plan, pray, decide, execute. Um, you know, I think sometimes uh, people handle giving the way we sort of handle bumblebees. And if you're around in the yard and walking around, suddenly there's a bumblebee in your face. And, you know, what do people do? They're like, you know, and karate chopping the air, trying to get the bumblebee away. I think it's how, you know, we're sitting in the worship service and we're grooving on the music. And we're like, this isn't so bad, you know. And then next thing we know, we see the offering plate coming and we think, oh, no. So we get the wallet out and like, get the $5 bill out, you know. You know. I didn't want to look like a cheapskate who wasn't giving anything, but I didn't want to give that much, and so I just I got it passed and I'm done. 
I'll remember that next Sunday, you know, that that's going to happen again. Maybe I won't show up. I don't know. Like, you know, if, if that's how you approach giving, I mean, seriously, just keep your five bucks. Like, go buy some Dunkin' Donuts, whatever. I mean, it's not supposed to be a spasmodic guilt reaction. It should be something we think about. It should be intentional. There should be purposefulness to it. And so, so do something on purpose. Um, you know, I, uh, have, you ever, have you ever sat down and thought about that? I mean, have you been to churches a long time? Have you been to this church for a while but never thought about giving or what you would give? Have you ever planned it out? Have you looked at a budget? Have you ever set a number? You know, so I know some of you kids get allowances. Some of you uh, babysit. You get money. Have you ever thought about as a little kid, like if you get, you know, two bucks as an allowance, taking whatever percentage, 10%, and taking two dimes, putting it in an offering plate, you know, because, because you're honoring God with it. Have you ever thought about doing that? You know, it's interesting. Even though the, the New Testament doesn't set a number, I think in some ways it opens the door for a higher number. Because if you look at verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will reap generously. So there's kind of this emphasis on, you know, generous is good, right? I, I, I told the story before, but I, I was once talking to a, a friend who, who was doing pretty well financially, and he was just become, coming to faith in Christ. He had all kinds of questions, and he wanted to ask me about tithing. He's like, what's this thing about tithing? I'm like, tithing? I'm like, you're loaded. You should be giving like 30%. And he was like, Ooh. you know, be generous, right? Anyway, I, I could tease him like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, so, so, the, so the, the key is to decide and, and to decide based on how the Lord's leading you and what he's given you. Um, you know, let me just tell you this. I'm not telling you this to, to brag or boast in any way, but just, just to kind of put it out there because I think it's just one of these things that people want to know about but, but we're often not clear about. But let me just tell you what Jennifer and I do for our tithing. Um, you know, we, we have a, a set amount that we've decided to give, and I, don't, I, f- I didn't know what percentage it was, so I figured out what percentage of my paycheck it was, and we give a little over 15%. So that's what I give as a tithe. I, uh, I obviously don't give it to the payroll of the church because <laughs> then it would, like, cycle back. But, um, you know, so I'm in, like, a weird financial situation. But, uh, but, but I give it to things in the church that don't come back into the payroll of the church, but that's what we give. And then we also give to some other things outside of the church that, that we support and believe in. But, but, you know, that's what we do. And I know here's the question. we we'll be real practical here. But this question people always ask. I don't know why, but it's the burning question. Is that percentage before or after taxes? <laughs> Whatever, okay? Whatever. For me, it's before taxes. That's what I do. That's what we do. Because you know what? It's, it's my money that, that God has given to me. And so I need to give the Lord a portion of that money. If the government wants to, you know, fleece me for a little bit too, that's fine. They can. Um, but yeah, so, so that's how we handle giving. So, but whatever it is, think about it, pray about it, be intentional, and and do it. And and so that's what a tithe is. It's 10%, or in the New Testament, a set amount that you determine that you know could be whatever it is between you and the Lord that you decide. Now, second question. I think this is far more important. And going back to Deuteronomy 14. So bookmark 2 Corinthians 9. Go back to Deuteronomy 14. Second question, why do we tithe? And now we're getting to the issue of the heart. What should be our motivation for tithing? The Bible is always far more concerned about our heart motivation 
than religious actions. You know, God is in the prophets in the Old Testament is criticizes Israel all the time for carrying out religious actions but having the wrong heart motivation. So what should be our motive? You know, okay, so tithing is the religious behavior, but what should be propelling this? And and to me what I find here in Deuteronomy fourteen is a simple motivation. Worship. Worship. You know, worship is really the only true motivation for tithing that that I think is sustainable. Any lesser motivation than worship, praising God and glorifying Him, will, I, I think, ultimately sort of degenerate and morph into some twisted kind of motivation. Worship is, is the truest and the highest motivation. Look at it here in the text. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14. After they collected the tithe in the Old Testament, a tenth of the grapes, a tenth of the wheat, a tenth of all that, they were to take all of it where? Verse 23. They were to eat the tithe. So that's kind of cool. They got to eat some of it. The new wine, the oil, the firstborn. Where? In the presence of the Lord your God at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name. So so in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy, that we're going to get to in a couple weeks, we're going to read about the three major pilgrim feasts of Israel, which happen to coincide with the three major harvests. So what would happen is they would harvest... They would collect a tithe and they would all trundle to Jerusalem or you know wherever the temple or tabernacle was and they would have a big celebration there. They'd give that as, to the Lord and they would also eat it and have a, a great time of rejoicing together in what God had done. Um, and it wasn't, they didn't eat it all. As we're going to see, they gave some to the priests, some to the Levites. But don't you see, it was part of their worship. It was part of glorifying God. That's why they were giving was a way of expressing something toward God. You get the same thing at the end of verse 23. They should do all this so that, why? So that you may learn to revere or fear the Lord your God always. So that not only were they doing it as an act of worship, but by doing it they would be learning more about fearing God. You know, the relationship between the heart and the actions is an interesting thing. Because at one level, our heart motivates our actions. We, what, what, what we do and what we say comes out of our hearts. But there's also a reciprocal sense in which sometimes what we do shapes our hearts. And our actions and behavior, you know, in a very subtle way, teach us things. They preach a message to us. Sometimes you do just have to go do something and then your heart gets taught through the process. So, you know, it's a funny thing, the relationship between heart and actions. And, and I think that's the case here. Not only do we bring a tithe to say thank you to the Lord and to worship Him. But in the process, we learn more about fearing God by tithing. So it's it's this wonderful cycle of growing in worship and intimacy with God. And so the motivation for tithing is worship. It's to praise and glorify God. Let me put it this way. Tithing is a horizontal action with a vertical message. It's a horizontal action with a vertical message. It's horizontal. It's a worldly Activity, not in the sense of worldly as in sinful, but as in it's part of this creation. We're doing something here and now. But it has a vertical message that we're sending to God. What are we saying to God when we tithe? Or what should we be saying to God? We're saying to God, God, I love you. I love you more than money. That's, that's a big one. <laughs> I love you more than money. I mean, what do people love more than money? Not much. I love you more than money. And I can say that, and I can pay lip service to it, but it's another thing when I write a check. It's like, ooh, do I really? 
You know, that, that check sort of burns in the hand as you're, uh, okay, yes, I do love him. It, it's saying to God, not only do I love you, it's saying to God, I'm thankful to you. I'm acknowledging your provision for my life. Thank you, God. Tithing is saying, I love you. It's saying, I thank you. It's saying, God, I trust you. You know, I trust that you're going to provide for me. It, it, it's tempting to hold on to that, whatever it is. Say, you know what I could do with this? You know what I could do with this? Ugh. Okay, I'll give it to the Lord. I'm going to trust God to provide for my needs rather than sort of hoarding all things to myself and and protecting them in order to protect my life financially. It's also saying to God, and I think this is so important, it's saying, God, I honor and acknowledge you as the creator and owner of everything. It's saying, God, this is all yours. You know, the 10%, 15%, 30%, whatever, 5% you give is God's. And the percent you keep is God's. It's all His. And so I think tithing is an acknowledgement of God's ownership of everything. It's all worship. right? Tithing is like fasting. Why do people fast? Some of you fasted the last couple of Sundays. You tried fasting as a, a church. We, we tried this out. Uh, you know, Just praying and fasting. And maybe for some of us it was the first time we ever fasted and practiced that biblical discipline. You know, but, but why do we fast? Well, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's an intentional deprivation in order to say to God, I love you. God, I love you more than food. I'm more hungry for you than I am for food. And it's the same thing. God, I love you more than finances. I trust you. I acknowledge your lordship over everything. I, I can say whatever I want, but you know, when it comes to putting those things into action, it's a lot more challenging. And so it should be worship. And because it's worship, tithing should be a joyful activity. It should be something we do from a heart of joy. Look back at the text here. Look at verse 26. So you get the command to tithe. You get the command to to revere the Lord. It's all part of worship. And then in verses 24 to 26, you get these these, uh, sort of legal rulings about if you can't bring all your produce, you can sell it, get silver, go buy stuff later when you're there. But then at the very end of it, Look at the end of verse 26. He says, Then you, after you've done all this, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and what? Rejoice. It should be a joyful, a rejoicing kind of thing. Same thing in 2 Corinthians 9. Go back to our 2 Corinthians 9 bookmark. What does he say in verse 7? Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants a cheerful giver. Because when I'm worshiping, I'm cheerful. If I'm doing it begrudgingly, then I'm not really worshiping God. I'm just, you know, obeying something or doing something. I don't know why. I'm driven by guilt. I'm driven by legalism. But here it's an act of joyous worship to God. So giving should be a joyful activity. You can be joyful about giving just as much as you can be joyful about singing. You know, you you see the person in the church who's totally singing their guts out to God and, you know, their eyes are closed and their hands are in the air and they're just pouring. You know, you look at them, you're like, wow, that person's, you know, you never know for sure, right? But that person seems really joyful. They seem like they're really like giving it their all. They're happy to be here singing and praising God, you know? Well, what about giving? Why can't we give joyfully? Why wouldn't that be as much an act of worship as singing? Sometimes, you know, we, in the evangelical culture, we use the word worship 
And all we really mean by it is singing congregational music. You know, people say, well, I, I love the worship of that church. What they mean is I like the congregational music. Worship is so much more than congregational music. It's praying. It's listening to God's word read. It's listening to God's word preached. It's giving. It's, it's the, 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 the greeting we give each other where Paul says greet each other with a, a, you know, a brotherly kiss. So, so worship is a, corporate worship is a lot of things. And then certainly then when we go out of the church, it's worship. We should live a whole life of worship. And so tithing should be part of our worship. And I think that's encouraging. You know, can I just, can I just encourage the people here who have money? That you having money is not a dirty sub-Christian thing. You know, sometimes you get that impression. Like, well, you know, I am a Christian. I love the Lord. But, you know, can I kind of have some money. <laughs> you know, it's like it's embarrassing or... You know, it's your dirty little secret. What? It's just your gift. Or one of your gifts. You probably have many gifts. That's one of them. You know, should you be embarrassed about that any more than a person who can sing well should be embarrassed about just belting it out during congregational worship? I mean, if you can sing, man, belt it out. Help us. We need your voice. If you can lead, if you have leadership gifts, why would you hide that? Why wouldn't you join a church and become a member of a church and, and help lead that church with the, the gifts God's given you? If I have some measure of ability to preach and teach, why shouldn't I preach and teach to help the body? And if God's blessed you with finances, then give. You know, it's, it's a gift that you have to give to the body. It's part of what God has given you to be a blessing to others. You, you know, money is not evil. The love of money is evil. And one of the best antidotes to the love of money is generosity. It's one of the best ways to counteract that miserly impulse that everybody has, rich or poor, because we're all greedy. <laughs> some of us have it, some of us don't, but we're greedy. And the best way to counter greed is through generosity. Um, and so that's why we give. It's an act of worship. So what is, what is tithing? It is a 10% in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, some amount, could be 10%, that we decide to give to the Lord for His work. Uh, why do we give? Because it's worship. It's a way of sending a vertical message to God. Just saying, God, I love you. I trust you. I depend upon you. I acknowledge your lordship over all of creation, including what I have in my bank account. God, it's all yours. And then that leads to the third question. And here we get to a kind of a, a good old practical New England question. That question is, where does the money go? Yeah, where did it go? Who's got it? What does it go to? Because when I say we give to the Lord, right, that's not literally true. Like, we don't literally put it into God's hand. We, you know, when you give your offering, or if, if you give an offering, it's not like you go down to stop and shop and buy 10 helium balloons and tie a little envelope with a, you know, 200 bucks in it and then go like, all right, Lord, I love you, you know. <laughs> And then, like, some guy in, you know, Bangor, Maine, like, has a 200 bucks land in his front yard. I mean, it's, that's not, it, it's giving to the Lord, but it's not literally giving to the Lord. So, so in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what did God expect, exactly expect to be done with that money? Where was it supposed to go? Or those sheep, or those grapes, or whatever it is that the people were tithing. And basically what you see is that, that the money was to go in God's name to the community of faith, the community of believers, Israel in the Old Testament or, or the church, local churches in the New Testament. And specifically, it goes to two groups. It goes to those who minister for the Lord, Old and New Testament, and it goes 
to the poor and the needy among the Lord's people. Those are sort of the two major places that offerings in Old and New Testament went. Look at Deuteronomy 14. Deuteronomy 14, uh, you know, verse 27. Do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So as the Israelites collected the tithe and worshipped and ate and drank and celebrating in God's presence, they were to also let the Levites in on these feasts. Who are the Levites? They were the one tribe in Israel that did not have their own land. They were the ones who helped out with the worship of Israel and, and facilitated all of that. They, they worked with the priests to... To, to guide the, the corporate worship and, and the worship at the temple of Israel. They were set-aside Israelites who had been set aside for the specific task of ministering before the Lord and ministering and serving the people in the worship of God. And, and, but it's not only the Levites and the priests who, had, who, who were fed from the offerings. That's where they received their income or their inheritance from. But also the poor. You know, look down at verse 28. At the end of every three years... Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. So, so apparently in the cycle, every third year they didn't take their tithe to the tabernacle or to the temple, but they had some kind of food bank or something in all the villages and they would bring it there so the people who were really in need could could eat from it there too which is pretty amazing uh, you know you look at israel's economic system and the laws that god gave to govern their economics there's a lot of charity baked into israel at all kinds of different levels you know for instance god made a law when you harvest your field don't harvest the corners leave it for the poor to come and and harvest when you go through your vineyard and you're picking grapes don't send your kid back through another time to get the grapes you missed just leave it so the people who who don't have grapes that year can come and pick grapes so so this idea of generosity was built in so that no israelite would go without and you look at the new testament in the church you find the same thing uh turn to second corinthians chapter nine again All right, so once you're in 2 Corinthians 9, I want you to go back one book to 1 Corinthians 9. All right, you got that? So 2 Corinthians 9, then go back one book to 1 Corinthians 9. And this is where Paul teaches about how in the New Testament, uh, those who preach the gospel are to receive their living from the gospel. That apostles and, uh, and preachers and teachers of the gospel should receive it. Just like the priests and the Levites did in the Old Testament, so in a kind of similar way the apostles did. Now, of course, all believers are priests before God. All believers are ministers. And yet there also seems to be a kind of office set aside within the church of preachers and teachers. So, you know, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? You know, if you have shepherds in a flock, they should, they should be able to have some share in that. Then he says in the next sentence, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? So, you know, don't muzzle the ox. So apparently you just call me Pastor Ox. You know, and I'm up here treading the grain and don't muzzle. I mean, that's the basic idea. 
Or to put aside all the metaphors and say it very clearly, verse 14, in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So that's why churches have payrolls for pastors. There it is. Uh, Go to 2 Corinthians 9 now. And we also see in the New Testament that there's provision made for the poor among God's people. You know, you go back to 2 Corinthians 9. Why was Paul doing this teaching on giving? Answer, he was at that time making a collection for the poor in the church in Jerusalem. And we know that believers collected money and they gave it to those in need. We're told in the book of Acts that in the early church in Jerusalem, uh, sometimes people who had land would sell their land, they would liquidate their capital, and they would bring that money and they would give it to the apostles, and the apostles would give it to the people in the church who were in need. So among God's people, you know, put it in our context, in a local church, among the members of a local church, there shouldn't be any member of a local church who can't put bread, basic food on the table and basic clothes on their backs. It doesn't mean everyone in the church has to be living high on the hog, but I think among a church's membership that, that there's something wrong when there's someone in the membership of the church who doesn't have basic necessities. Like we should at least take care of each other in that way and provide in the, in the simplest kind of way, presuming the person is, you know, um, you know, really is genuinely hard up and is not uh, just freeloading on the good of the church. And that's where accountability comes in as well. But don't you see, this is part of the same thing. It's those who minister for the Lord and those who are needy among the Lord's people. That's where those, those resources go. And we do that in our church. We have a deacon's fund in our church. And that's a benevolence fund that we set aside funds for people in need in our congregations. Help hundreds of people... Set you know, over the years, it's been a great thing. You know, you can also help somebody without getting a tax write-off for it. Did you know that? You can just, you can just help someone financially without the IRS giving you an acknowledgement for it. Sometimes we need to do that. Just help people in need. Help, help financially. If you see a need in the church, just meet it. You don't even have to ask permission. You could just go meet a need if you see one. It's a great thing. You know, the family of faith and how it's supposed to operate. So, what is a tithe? It is 10% or in the New Testament some determined amount that we give to the Lord. Why do we give? It has to be worship. It has to be worship. That's the fundamental motivation of giving is it's a message that we send up to and about who God is in our lives. Where does the money go? It goes to the Lord's people, both to those who serve and to those who need to be served, who are struggling in different ways. And then the final, this is my final observation about tithing from this passage. And this one isn't so much a question as it is just kind of an observation. And here it is. If you give, God will bless you. If you give, God will bless you. I say that with a little bit of trepidation because that's what the schmaltzy prosperity gospel preachers on tv say (laughs) you know if you give ten dollars the lord's gonna send a thousand back in your lap you know with with the shiny suit and the slick hair and a good measure pressed down shaken and pouring over will come into your lap you know this whole and it's it's and it starts to feel kind of like a spiritual ponzi scheme you know, where, where God's like an investment, like fast money investment system. If I just send in money to this guy, this is going to come in the mail the next day. And so, it, you know, it can really be abused. And it is abused. 
where people, where people abuse giving money to religious organizations, and they make promises about how God's going to solve all your problems if you'll just donate $50 to the, you know, uh, you know, rebuild the walls, you know, campaign, or whatever it is. You know, it's all this biblical language that kind of covers over just greed. But the thing is about even those prosperity gospel guys, there's a little kernel of truth in what they're saying. And the kernel of truth is that God blesses those who give. Maybe not in the formulaic, you know, vending machine, twisted way that you hear like in the prosperity system, but he does bless. And so to be faithful to the text, I think we have to point that out. Look at, again, second, or Deuteronomy 14. The very last sentence of this chapter, after all these instructions on giving and setting aside money and collecting the tithe and all this, how does it all end? So the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. There's a blessing that comes when we give. Go to 2 Corinthians 9. It's even stronger there in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Wow, that sounds like you give and and there's a blessing that comes as a result of that. Verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed uh, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, give, and God will bless you in some way. I don't think it's necessarily material. Sometimes blessings come in all sorts of forms, shapes and sizes. Uh, You know, you help someone in need, and you see them get through a tough spot, and then you see their life start to be put back together. And then you see them three years later, they're leading a Bible study and they're ministering to people. And you're like, I remember three years ago, they were a total mess. And look where the Lord brought them. And you know, I was a little part of that. I I gave them some money to get through that tough time where where they couldn't even hardly think about spiritual things because they were just overwhelmed with the finances. And, you know, that's a blessing to have that happen. That's, you know, what's what's the price tag on that blessing? It's an amazing blessing. You know, we're giving money to this building. It's like, what if 30 years from now, 30 years from now, that building is still up. It's still holding the gospel. People are still coming to the Lord Jesus. It's been 30 years of people coming to faith. 30 years of, who knows, maybe churches being started. Maybe people being trained for the gospel ministry. And and what if you look back on that 30 years and you're like, man, I can't remember all the junk I bought for the last 30 years. I bought clothes that I wore once and threw away because I didn't like them. You know, I, I wasted money on all kinds of garbage. I don't even know what I spent my money on, but I know I give money to that. Look what God has done for 30 years or whatever it is. That's a reward. That's a blessing that, that you get from giving as you see how God uses the, the little things we give to him and how he does great things, even, even money, which is part of living in this world. And you know what? At the risk of sounding like a prosperity preacher, sometimes God even blesses with money. Not, it's not a promise, not a formula, but he does. Sometimes you give, and the Lord gives more. I, it, it happens sometimes. I'll never forget a, uh, a, 
a lecture I got from an old person at South Shore Baptist Church. <laughs> By about 10 years ago. I've gotten my good share of lectures. Have deserved a lot of them, really. But um, w- one of them I got was I, I preached a sermon on tithing. And uh, at the end of and, and in that sermon, when I got to should we tithe today, instead of doing the no but, at that time I was just more to like no. You know, that's the Old Testament, you know, poo-poo. We don't do that. And, uh, and so since then, I've thought more, and I'm, I'm now more of a no, but. But at that time, I was just, no. no. No tithing today. It's not in the New Testament. Forget it. And I remember after the service, uh, an elderly member of our church, some of you remember Norm Carlson, an elder of this church for many years, he pulled me aside, and he became very stern with me. And it was one of those, listen here, young man talks. And he said, let me tell you something, Jeremy. He said, during the Depression, my mother had barely, you know, any money. We just barely scraped by like everybody else was doing. But whenever my mom got money, no matter how much it was, she always gave 10%. And he says, the Lord provided for my family. He's like, so don't ever (laughs) disparage tithing again. And I was like, that's Mr. Carlson. (laughs) (laughs) And so, when I, so whenever I preach on tithing, whenever I preach on this, I always hear, you know, the voice of Norm just reminding me. I had a lady come up after the end of the, the service, after I preached this at the 830 service. She says, you know, when I learned about tithing, she was going through a time. She was separated from her husband. They eventually came back together, but she was separated. She, she, got, she said this one week, she got all of her bills paid and everything was paid. And, and all she had that week for food and gas and everything was 10 bucks. And she went to church and she felt the Lord telling her, put the 10 bucks in the plate. And she's like, are you kidding me? But she did it. And she says later that week, you know, these kind of stories happen. She got a call from somebody, you know, and said, hey, I I feel like God wants me to give you some money in a gift. And she's like, okay. And the person gave her a hundred bucks, which $10 is a tenth of that, you know. And, you know, she's like, and that's when I learned that week that God can provide for me. So... I'm not telling anybody here who's down to their last 10 bucks that you should do that and God will therefore guarantee to give you money. I'm not. This isn't a prosperity system. I'm just saying God provides. That's all I'm saying. And sometimes He provides financially. I mean, and then you know, and you know, what did that teach her? It taught her to fear the Lord. She learned to fear. That's the lesson. Is to fear the Lord. So, Give because God will bless you in some way or another, whether spiritually or otherwise. What is tithing? It's giving a percentage to the Lord. It's done for the purpose of worship or out of an expression of worship. His money goes to His people, His poor, and His ministers. And we do it, we do it knowing that God will bless. But you know, you take all those four points together and as a Christian... There's one more thing that needs to be said. This is sort of my last little thought for you before we close here. But there's one more thing that needs to be said. And that is, as Christians, we have to look at every issue and every teaching and every Christian discipline through the lens of the cross. The gospel and the cross have reformatted everything for us. And so every issue, even giving, has to be seen through the cross. It's not just giving for us. It has to be gospel giving. And when I realize, when I stop and just focus on what God has done for me, that He sent His only Son to die for my sins, that in an act of never-to-be-paralleled generosity, 
the precious blood of Christ was shed to buy back a greedy, selfish, stingy person like me? And that Christ died for me? And my sins are forgiven and He rose again so that I can have eternal life? It's overwhelming. The cross has affected me and has affected us. And so as we look at giving, we not only look at sort of these kind of simple principles, but we look at it through the cross. So, you know, when it comes to like what's giving, it's a certain percentage or whatever. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I've got to figure out the percentage. But guess what? I want to give God my whole life. I don't just want to give Him some money. Christ died for me. And so whatever I give to a church in terms of a check, who cares? My whole life needs to be lived for Christ. It's all His. And when I think of that act of worship... I'm not just thanking God because He's provided some money for my family and giving Him a portion of it back. I'm thanking God that He saved me from hell, that He's forgiven me, that He loves me, that He's given me new life. And so this is worship for what God has done for me in the cross. It goes way beyond finances. And it colors even my giving. And when I think about where the money goes, I think about money going to the gospel And I get so excited about that because it's the gospel that saved me. And so when I think some of my money can go to the spread of the gospel, whether to, you know, pay for gospel messengers and missionaries or pastors or buildings or whatever, that's so exciting that the gospel that saved me can go forward through my little contributions. Or or the poor in the, you know, in the church or the poor that we meet, that really giving to the poor is about expressing the gospel. You know, why should Christians give to the poor? Is it because by doing so, we're going to change the world? I would suggest, this may sound really weird, that's not the reason. I don't think we're going to change the world until Christ comes. I think that's our hope. So why should Christians give to the poor? This is what I think is the real answer that's much deeper. We should give to the poor because it models the gospel. It models the generosity, the unmerited, specific generosity that God has shown specifically to us by saving me. And we model that, gospel, that, that generosity to others. If, if your goal is, is to sort of change the world, I mean, that's a good thing, but you're going to be disappointed because, you know, even the best intentions get twisted around. Even the best charitable organizations fall into corruption You know, you you give money here and it goes to the wrong person. It's so frustrating. And so I have to be giving fundamentally as an embodiment and dramatization of the gospel message itself and God's generosity to me. And what about that reward? What about that blessing? Heaven is my home. God is my God. I've got my reward. So all of these truths about giving are just taken to a new level in Christ and through the gospel. Do you have Jesus? You know, don't even worry about giving to God if you haven't first received from God. Because what God really wants is for you to receive from Him. He wants you to receive Jesus Christ and His salvation. He wants you to receive from Him the gift that is so great that you have never, you have no chance at all of ever paying it back. No matter how charitable you ever become receive the gift of salvation before you give you must receive and so open your heart and open your arms to christ let's pray
Lord Jesus, I pray that more than anything else, you would overwhelm us as a church with your great generosity to us in the cross. Lord, we pray that more than anything else, we would be in awe and staggered that you would give the precious blood of your son more valuable than gold and silver, worth more than all the treasures of the earth, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving him to die for us. And Lord, we pray that as the gospel impact just resonates deeper and deeper into our souls, that it would unleash a a, a generosity in our souls. It's a response. Lord, may we worship you through whole lives dedicated to giving. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.